Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing and for the amazing people that you've brought into my life. I ask you to bless right now, please. Um, and I'm so encouraged by you and what you've done for me this week. Uh, give us a real sensitive heart right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so just to review a couple things, I want to uh, make a couple of comments about neuroanatomy, uh, the female, the male, how that affects communication. Here's a couple of summary statements. Because a female has a more efficient ability to access both the left, the logic side, and the right, the emotion side of the brain, they have a unique ability to empathize. They can feel feelings and think thoughts that the average guy just can't. And it is a very real thing for a female. That can cause a lot of frustration when that woman is reacting or relating to a male. Because it is true of males that their left-brainedness, their tendency, it's called a, it's called a hemispheric bias. A male can be biased toward the left, brain, left side of the brain. That she feels like he's not listening and she feels like he's not giving her attunement. He has no respect for her emotions. And when that happens, the relationship can spin into a pretty, you know, pretty negative state and oftentimes even some pretty painful arguments. So bottom line is, from the perspective of the female, the male is set up to fail because he, in his maleness, his left brainness, is unlike her, and it's very, very frustrating. The male who systemizes and organizes and wants to know how things work, that left brain tendency in the male, uh, it, that very strength creates weakness and vulnerability because he can't logically understand, fix, or systemize a woman's emotions. Just can't do it. Some of you are grinning. You know. <laughs> we fellas just can't fix the emotions or the emotional orientation of uh, our moms, our sisters, our spouse. So we guys can set up a female to fail because they're not like us. And here we are, the gender war. The realities of being male, the realities of being female. Um, one more comment about, about the brain. When the brain goes into stress, uh, an argument ensues, uh, something is really volatile, and things get heated in your, in your marriage relationship. And you finally get the kids to bed, the door's closed, and it's time to talk. And uh, the conversation begins, and there's some barbs, you punches thrown and things get ratcheted up emotionally. When that happens, it is very, very common. The sympathetic nervous system kicks in, the fight and flight response kicks in, and at that point, the zones in the brain that manage speech, expression, how I want to say what I think logically, what I want to say uh, regarding my emotions, and then how the part of the brain that lets you hear that information shuts off. It goes offline. Okay? 
Now, sometimes, not always, in a fight, a spouse, let's say it's the, let's say it's the left-brained, cool-headed guy. And he's in control because he's left-brained, and his emotions aren't that off the charts. And let's say it's a stereotypical female, strong integration of emotions, and she's really upset, and she's crying, and she's shaking, and, and the husband throws the haymaker punch and lays out a question and hits her hard with a question, and she's so upset. Her fight-and-flight response is so pronounced, she can't talk. She literally can't talk. She wants to talk. She knows she's got a lot to say, but it can't come out. Those zones of the brain are offline because she's so upset. Please hear me well. For some of us, we take silence, our wives' inability to answer a straight-on question, or our, the husband's inability to answer a straight-on, forthright question, a good old punch in the mouth, just a hard, point-blank question, and they can't answer it. We sometimes think their silence is an admission of guilt. Makes sense? <laughs> and once that happens, deep damage occurs in the relationship. And typically things take a very negative turn. All right. Just because your spouse can't articulate feelings and can't articulate ideas, something that to you in your moment of strength appears to be logical or sound, doesn't mean they're admitting guilt. And we shouldn't run to the conclusion of, aha, there you go, you're not answering the question, and blah, 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 and throw another punch. Or if you really want to do the damage, you just hit him with one question right after the other, they're silent, and you think, ooh, it's, your, it's like you got them in the corner, and you're just gonna pound it out of them. And at that point, you're doing tremendous damage in the relationship, and, and I, I assure you, you're not helping the, the marriage by any stretch, okay? So when we're upset enough or angry enough, our speech zones go offline, and just because you can't answer a question, it doesn't mean you're admitting guilt. All right, now, here's some summary statements about we as Christians and how Christians communicate in healthy ways. And this applies to the single, who's relating to peers or siblings or parents. It applies to uh, your spouse. It applies to mom and dad. It applies to your boss at work, your employees at work, friends. It's, it's everybody. Okay. Number one, we as Christians, we who claim to believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament are, in fact, the living, breathing Word of God. I'm borrowing language from the Apostle Paul. The living, breathing Word of God and that we get a moral compass from the Old and New Testaments. We get a, we get a, a map on show us, to show us the way. We get a moral code that says, hey, this is how you do it. This is the right way to do the right thing with the right motive. It's called the Old and New Testament. And we work hard at our faith. So here's seven statements about what it means to communicate in right and healthy ways for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Number one, we are truth-tellers. We're truth-tellers, which means lying and deception are not a part of our lives. When it comes to good communication, 
Number one, we are truth tellers. Number two, we are promise keepers. We just keep our word. Let your yes be yes, yet your, let your no be no. Number three, when we talk, we seek to be kind and loving in our motives. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.25, it repeats it again, speak the truth in love. Okay. Number four, we believe that we are obligated to speak words of wisdom. All right. That's a Christian core value that's very big and heavily pronounced in the Old Testament. It is our, our duty, our, 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 our call to honor that we speak wisdom. Okay? Christians should be very wise and very discerning people. Number five, in our speech, Christians have the ability to know what to say, and what not to say. There is a time to be quiet. And I mean really quiet. There's a time to say nothing. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was taken before Pilate and there was a series of questions given, there were moments when he said nothing. He knew when to keep his mouth closed and he knew when to open his mouth up. And we as Christians should know what to say, what not to say. Number four, or excuse me, number six. Human speech reflects the human moral condition. That is a major core value conviction that we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ have to embrace. Because Jesus made it clear, he was talking with, with, with Jewish scribes and lawyers And these people came up with rules about the rules about the rules. And that if you kept all these fine-tuned applications and sub-applications of the main rules, Torah, you'll never break Torah. You'll you'll never break the Big Ten, so to speak. And so they had all kinds of rules. Do you you wash from the tip of your finger first to the elbow, elbow to the tip of the finger? Uh, How do you know the water's clean? All these religious rules. And when these guys saw Jesus and his disciples eating with unwashed hands, they said, Jesus, Jesus is confronted by them. And the question is, don't you understand that you're doing something that makes you ceremonially unclean? You're not washing your hands correctly before you eat, <clears throat> according to Jewish law code. And Jesus corrects their misunderstanding, their, their deception, by saying, don't you understand what makes a man unclean before God? isn't what he touches. It's not, what, it's not eating with unwashed hands. It's not eating pork. Those kinds of things, that Old Testament perspective. What really makes a man unclean is what comes out of his mouth. Not what goes in his mouth, but what comes out of his mouth. It's not eating with unwashed hands or eating some unclean food. It's what comes out of your mouth. So, we need to knock the, really, really nail this down. Human speech reflects the human moral condition. In other words, what we say reveals who we are. Okay? What we say reveals who we are. And then the seventh thing. God will judge what we say. Even silly, silly idle words 
are words spoken with the deepest sense of intentionality. Every word we say will be judged by God. Those are seven summary statements about communication that are absolutely core and essential for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Number one, we tell truth, we keep promises, we are kind and loving in our motives, we speak wisdom, we know what to say, what not to say. We realize that our speech reflects who we are. Now, if you knew that, I mean, if you really locked onto that, you think you'd be careful what you say to your mom, what you would say to your dad, what you'd say to a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, what you'd say to a spouse, what you'd say to your child? Don't you think? If we knew what, we, what comes out of our mouth defines who we are, we would be very careful. And then we would have this sobering awareness that everything we say, from a silly idle word to something spoken with the deepest sense of intentionality, will all be judged. All right. Some of you, I've gotten some feedback on the five levels of communication by John Powell. This came out decades ago. It's great, great stuff. Just a bit of a reminder that level five and four they are the safest levels of communication. Level five is the cheapest, the most shallow, the most non-form of communicating that you can. Level one is the deepest form of being transparent with, with anybody. Your mom, dad, uh, your best friend, your spouse, your kids, okay? And uh, the deeper you go, the higher the risk. The deeper you go, the higher the risk. The more shallow you keep it, the safer things are. <laughs> okay? So, uh, all right, let's talk about how to have a good fight. Um, for some of you that might be upsetting language, please be patient. I mean nothing. I'm not endorsing fighting in the worldly carnal sense of what that is. I'm just simply saying, you know, if you prefer the language of... Uh, we're having an intense conflict resolution meeting at the house or we're, we're working things out, you know, behind a closed door. Okay, if you prefer that language, go for that one. But the fact is, for a lot of the folk at Christchurch, they just have a good old fight. They just, man, they step in the ring, they agree, and the gloves are laced up good and tight, and they go to blows. And punching each other out with, with information, punching each other out with facts, and punching each other out with feelings. And they have a fight. So... What do you do? How do you have it? Well, let's, let's look at this. What is a fight? Uh, a fight is a psychological relational event characterized by out-of-control emotions, out-of-control speech, and out-of-control physical actions directed towards someone who failed to meet your needs, your expectations, and you are upset. You didn't get your way. Whatever that means, you didn't get your way. And we're throwing words, we're throwing plates, we're throwing punches, we're throwing something. Something's going to move. Some object will move when we get in this kind of a visceral, out-of-control state. All right? So this is what goes on during a fight. Um, so it's interesting, this couple, you know how God puts couples together. Les Parrot meets a girl named Leslie. Les and Leslie get married. 
So we have Les and Leslie Parrott, and they both have PhDs. Great Christian couple, the Parrots, great folk. And they wrote a book called A Good Fight. And this is what they said, uh, what they report in their book, issue in their book. They're just good common sense rules, guidelines to have a, a good fight or what you could almost call a fair fight or to be Christian about how you settle your problems with your, with your spouse, for example. One is going to be the cooperation rules. Simply, simply put, uh, you're, you've got to get along, right? And, and I, I can say in an extreme sense, you know, if being with your spouse is all that miserable, uh, as far as I know, divorce is not the unpardonable sin, why don't you just stop the misery, okay? If it's that bad... Stop the misery, okay? But by golly, if we're Christians and we can work on our marriages to make them last and endure for a lifetime, then you know what? we got to get along. And that's what a cooperation rule is. Let's try to get along. So one of the rules that they share <clears throat> is called share the withhold. Now, what, what they mean by that is stop withholding key information, okay? And, it's, and the thing is, it's not that you might be intentionally lying, your spouse or to your parents if you're having a knockdown drag out with them you're just withholding key information and if you got it out and said all right here's what's going on with me here's what's really going on all of a sudden communication can kind of break free and it's exciting and, and you can move forward but if you're withholding key information you might be making things really really complicated for no good reason whatsoever okay Cooperation rule number two, right the depth of your disagreement. The point of that idea is simply this. Uh, some of the stuff that we fight about really doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And I know we joke about it. Do you squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom or the midsection? Or do you, do you buy the really cool clippy thing and you roll it up and you just feel so organized about how you manage your toothpaste issues? Toilet paper coming off the roll, all this stuff. Uh, how, you, how you roll up a towel and put a towel away properly. The attractive side or the unattractive side of the towel. You know, these are, it's just important stuff, right? So, so we have both, both sides on the, in the crowd. We fight about the silliest stuff sometimes, okay? Uh, the scriptures, Cody would call that adiaphora, that which is non-essential, okay? Now, some stuff is diaphoric, absolutely essential, and it's worth getting upset about, okay? Uh, if your spouse, uh, for whatever reasons, is about to make a financial decision that could destroy <laughs> your well-being, cause you to lose the house, and all kinds of problems are going to ensue, okay, time to be upset. That is absolutely worthy of you pitching a fit in a loving, kind way and <laughs> dealing with your spouse about what's going on. There's a time to be angry, Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry. There's some stuff that we should be angry about. But quite frankly, there's a lot we shouldn't. And if we were honest, we spend a lot of energy being angry about things that just don't matter. They don't matter. Let's talk about why that happens, okay? Remember we talked about several sessions back in the series, previous series, about the ego defense called splitting? Do you remember that? 
Splitting is a, it's a moral construct of a good room and a bad room. And those of us who are professional splitters like me, if someone upsets me, I want to by default put them in the bad room because when they're in the bad room, I get to do something I really like. I get to ignore them because after all, they're bad. <coughs> and ignoring bad people makes me feel good inside. Right? And welcome to the world of morality and welcome to the ego defense of splitting. Well, there's another ego defense. Let me introduce it today that has everything to do with the cooperation rules, okay? It's called displacement. The ego defense is called displacement. Here's what's going on. In displacement, uh, let's use the illustration of a man. The man goes to work, and he has a really bad relationship with his boss. He thinks his boss is mean and rude and has unfair expectations, and he's just, the boss is just a real pain. And so the man has so much stress and upset at his boss, he goes home and takes it out on his wife or his children or the dog. That's called displacement. In other words, the anger and the upset that he has is directed toward the boss, but he's not man enough to talk to the boss where the source of the problem is. He's not man enough to do that and so because he won't deal with the real issue, he displaces his anger and penalizes his wife and kids when he comes home. It's called displacement. You know, does this make sense? You have an argument with your mom and your dad, and they say the curfew is going to be, you've got to be in by 10 o'clock, no questions. If it's 10.01, you are grounded, kiddo. And that's the last thing he or she wanted to hear. And so the teenager turns on their heels, goes to the bedroom, and slams the door. That's displacement. The door didn't do anything. Why are, you, why are you hurting the door? The door didn't hurt you. You're upset at your parents for laying down a rule about a curfew, but you take it out on the door. That's a kind of displacement. Makes sense. We show signs of displacement when we withhold information from our spouses when we are, we are not willing to cooperate and deal with the real issues, that's a sign of displacement, okay? Ownership rules, uh, simply apologize when you mean it. Uh, have you ever seen those kids on the playground when mom and dad step in and they say, Jimmy, you apologize to Johnny. And he's like, sorry, you know? <laughs> now shake hands, you know? They, well, they don't mean anything they're saying. They're, they're, they're complying because mom and dad are twisting their arms, so to speak, and saying, you two are going to go in timeout and you're not going to play in the cool monkey bars until you say you're sorry. They don't mean it. Okay? When you, when you, when you own your mistakes, you have a healthy sense of ownership. You apologize when you mean it. Ownership rule number two, practice the XYZ formula. What Les is saying here is, when I'm in this situation, situation blank, and you do that, blank, it really makes me feel blank. Just work through that formula. Talk it out. Now, that's an extremely healthy thing because if we're not careful, we can be really avoidant. And some of us, quite frankly, have adapted to the role of being a victim. And we find a lot of comfort in being a victim and as victims, we've got to continue to feel bad about stuff or we're forced to being happy. And who wants to be happy when you're a victim? That would be awful. 
And so practicing the XYZ formula is really effective for those of us who are, who are bent toward thinking we're victims, by the way. Respect rules, uh, number one, don't be cruel. Uh, take a time out when needed. There's some, you know, there's some tension here. Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. You know, work it out with your spouse, your parents, your friend, before you go to sleep. And I, uh, because I am a deeply committed Christian, I'm going to say, yes, do that. And for those of us who have the endurance to be able to stay up and talk till four in the morning or five in the morning to finally work it out, God bless you. I hope, you know, bless you. <laughs> bless you. For other folk, uh, there are some problems that are at such a magnitude and complexity that you just can't work those things out before sundown. And I think God understands. He does, okay? There are times in which we have to do a timeout. Empathy rules. Uh, read your partner's mind. Uh, the parrots are giving a bit of a play on words. They simply mean by that, try to feel the feelings. Try to think the thoughts. Now, for us guys, you know, if we're biased to the left side of the brain, it's hard for us to do that. And especially when we perceive that our wives are acting more out of an emotional perspective than a logical perspective, that can be super frustrating for us guys because we can't fix it. How do you, how do you untangle emotions and, and <clears throat> make her see it the way you want to see it? It's really hard. You have to be very careful about that. But that doesn't mean you can't try to walk a mile in her shoes, as they say, right? To try to feel the feelings, try to think the thoughts. It's a very important thing to do. And then pray together. You know, in a relationship with your mom and dad, uh, in a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, you're dating, or your spouse, or your children, it's really important to realize there's someone else in the room with you. It's Jesus Christ, okay? He made it really clear. I in you and you in me. He made it really clear that if we're, if we're the branch and we're attached to the vine, that there's a kind of proximity going on. There's a nearness, okay? Pray. Uh, husbands, your wives should hear you say their name before Almighty God. Wives, you should be praying out loud for your husbands. Singles, you should be praying for the people in your life that God has brought into your life. We should bring God in on this situation, okay? Um, look at some scriptures that have everything to do with a good fight. Uh, by the way, let me back up here. Uh, you know... The cooperation rules, ownership rules, respect rules, empathy rules, it's all good stuff, okay? I'm telling you, you can Google 10, I'm exaggerating for the point, 10 million documents that help you to have a good fight or, or get along with people. The, the, by the bazillions of pages of material that says, here's 17 ways to help you get along with people that are difficult, or here's five ways. It's everywhere. It's not for a lack of information that we don't know how to get along, okay? You've got enough scripture inside of you. You already know the answers. But you know what you don't have? Sometimes you don't have the right heart attitude. And if you didn't have the right heart in this situation, these rules, they're meaningless. If your heart's not in the right place, 
Okay? And by the way, marriages fail. <clears throat> if I could borrow the words of Moses, quoted by Jesus, because of the hardness of our hearts. That's why. Hardness of our hearts. Oftentimes, oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes. And so these rules, I mean, if you get a hard heart, these rules aren't going to make sense. Okay, look at, look at these scriptures. This is, think about this. Apply this to having a good fight or how you handle conflict at home. Galatians 5. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Do you guys realize this is the language of a fight? <laughs> right? Okay, can you see it? Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Soak that one up. If that's the habitual lifestyle that you live, that I live, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. Even if I think I prayed some magic Christian prayer in vacation Bible school. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified or put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, we put to death all the stuff that you listened to in 19 to 21. Okay? Now, question. You ready? This is, this is really, really good stuff here. Would you rather try to settle an argument? Would you try to, try to work on conflict resolution with a person representing 19 to 21 or the person representing 22 and 23? Who do you want to get along with? Who do you want to work out your problems with? Who do you want to work out a misunderstanding with? The guy 19 to 21 or the guy at 22 to 23? Make sense? That's a hard issue. That's all a hard issue. And here we go again. We're back to the core idea that if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're not Christians in name only. We really claim to be Jesus followers, then that means we're going to be pursuing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. By the way, how do you have a fight with that kind of person? Kind of hard, isn't it? To have an out of control emotions, out of control language, out of control behaviors with someone. Who has that? The fruit of the Spirit? Wow. I love James 1.20. Guys, this one's for us. In our left brainness, we love to be right. Oh, yeah. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Bottom line is, just because you think you're right, and just because you think you are mad, you add some good, good intense emotions to kind of get some gunpowder behind your conclusion... And you think you are godlike with your wisdom. 
you're a whole lot like God. You have got this thing figured out. And God says, no, you don't. You're angry, you're out of control, and you think you're about as right as I am? No way. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So what is the source of quarrels and fights and conflicts among us? Is not the source of your, is not the source your pleasures that wage war on your members? Uh, you mean your wife didn't give you what you want and you're mad at her or your husband didn't give you what you want now you're mad at him? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are, and, and by the way, you could replace that word with hate. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. <coughs> Makes sense. This is the way of Jesus. Here's some practical nuts and bolts on how to have a healthy uh, fight at home. Number one, communicate. Refer to the last session notes. Uh, this is important. Ask, is God trying to accomplish something through your spouse, through your parents, through your boyfriend, girlfriend, through your child? What is God trying to do in you? Why, why is your wife... So irritating. Why? What is it about her that's really upsetting you? And is it possible? Could it be? Could it be? That God is using your spouse to teach you a lesson? Could it be that God is using your husband to teach you something? Could it be that God is using your children or your boyfriend or your mom, your irritating mom and dad? Could it be that God is using them to teach you something? And the fact that you don't get your way and you pitch a royal fit exposes just how right God is and how wrong you are. And that if you could just turn your spiritual brain on, you'd realize, wow, God is at work here. And he's trying to teach me some deep lessons about life. And this isn't about the James 4, I, I'm not going to get my way, so I'm going to have a fit. There's, God is trying to disciple me through my spouse. Or God is trying to disciple me through my parents. God is trying to grow me up through my boss. God is trying to grow me up through a friend who keeps stabbing me in the back. Does this make sense? Okay. Three, try maturing in the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and see what happens in your relationships. <laughs> wow, how's that for an answer? To develop the fruit of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Watch what happens to your relationships. How about submitting your will, my will, to the will of God? And remember that selfishness just damages relationships, but a servant heart really deepens them. And then I would beg us all, identify the root problem and work on that problem. One problem at a time. The overwhelmed brain is an unproductive brain. Let's just work on one thing at a time. Okay, now, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about uh, love and what real love is. And it says that, that love is patient, love is kind. And this is, it doesn't keep a list of wrongs suffered. Well, if you've got 10,000 entries on your wrong suffered chart <laughs> against your spouse or somebody, and you're going to try to work out a few problems, you may try to offload 
10,000 reasons why they've hurt you. And at that point, you've, you've just set your spouse up to fail. You can't do that. Just work on one thing at a time. Find the root issue. Work on the one thing at a time. Okay. You're the gifted body of Christ. Your, your counsel, your advice is going to be brilliant. Talk to me. What are some ways that you've learned help settle an argument? Or what wisdom do you have that helps you get along with people? What would you say? Practical advice on how to get along with people and, and have a good problem-solving session. It's what, so but wise. It's, but it's, not, it's not the easiest thing to do. No, and Cody works with uh, Capernaum, Philippus too, and I think maybe some other folks here. They work with handicapped adolescents. Well, if you don't understand yeah. just what they're capable of doing or they can't do, then you could be extremely frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Someone else? Insights, ways you've learned how to get along with people? I think Chris, I'm Yes. Prayer, obviously. Yeah. Often you get off on this tangent, which has nothing to do with what's happening. They don't want you to even argue with this. Prayer, calmness, prayer. Think about what they're doing. Things can come out. Where'd that go? Where'd that come from? Yeah. One of my favorite verses. Yeah, quick to listen, slow to speak. I heard a wise old sage say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. That's a good formula right there. Yeah, good stuff, Steve, good stuff. Someone else? Still struggling with this or that, you're trying to run on a broken leg. You can't do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you just sit back and like begin to heal and work through that before you can begin that, I guess, emotional therapy, that physical therapy, learning to walk again and learning to build up that strength and to hopefully come back stronger than before. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, Amy. Start with and I love you. You know, it's genius, isn't it? Yeah. 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 When, you know, if, if your friend, your spouse feels threatened, uh, communication's going to get shallow, which means it's going to get safe. And zones in the brain that process speech, communication, and interpretation because go offline. And when you hear someone say, hey, I want you to know I love you or I appreciate you, it can, it can really calm that whole storm down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cody, isn't it interesting that you mentioned Cody in, in Cody's giftedness and Cody's high IQ and his great left brain. That guy's the logical, coolest guy I know, born at the age of 15. He's always been mature. Cody's an amazing guy. And he has this gracious perspective that when he's around handicapped people, he says, I should see them from their perspective. I should walk a mile in their shoes with the limits of those who have mental illness, etc." You ready? How do you think God sees me? How does God see us? Am, am I not the retarded person? <laughs> and yet, Amy, how does he interact with me? He says he loves me. How's that for grace? Chris, I think uh, the biggest thing that jumped out to me in all of the dealings, no matter where you put your finger on any of these, for me at least, is broken heartedness. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, Frank, that's so wise. That is so wise. People are afraid of pain. It's like, yes. Suffering together and working through it can become glue, can hold us together. Thank you, Frank. Um, Okay. 
some of you, you ready for the, for the real wise saying toward the end? You have some fence to mend with your spouses. <laughs> or your mom and dad, or a boyfriend or girlfriend or something, because you have not been living by some really good rules in your relationships. And you have a habit, some of you guys have a habit, that as your anger level increases, somehow you think your authority increases. Like authority and anger are somehow like one and the same. (laughs) I promise you, they're not. Proverbs says that a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And it also says that a soft word can break a bone. And what that means is Sometimes the most powerful things that we can say can be said in a very quiet and calm way. That's really what it means. You probably uh, have someone you need to talk to. Okay? And whether it's mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend in in the world forever, or your spouse or your own kids, about how to work through a problem and how to talk without ratcheting up anger okay and you know i'm let the holy spirit do his homework there so let me pray father thank you so much for the way you've you've uh, already been at work this morning and holy spirit so faithful to work and speak truth in us Uh, help us to grow mature in the fruit of the spirit please what it means to love and forgive in jesus name amen